This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. Hey, welcome everyone to the latest edition of the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, episode 44, now underway. And when we're taping this, it is 316 day. Oh, hell yeah. And hopefully you're having a good one and appreciate you listening in however you're doing so. Be it through 1037thegame.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and even Spotify. That's right. We are up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts as well in its own little separate universe. Just search Cajun Strong Style. And you'll get it. Hey, if you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us a five-star review. And let's go ahead and waste a little time and get into the three count. And we start off with the big news from over the weekend involving Andrade. The WWE superstar reportedly asked for his release, according to Wrestling Inc.'s Mark Middleton. But WWE has denied the request at this time. Wrestling Inc. reported Friday that he asked for his release Thursday, Monday at Raw. And Alex McCarthy of TalkSport later confirmed that. Andrade has not been seen on programming since October 12, 2020, when he lost a match to Angel Garza. Andrade is just another example of how the main roster just takes away from all the aura from someone and is able to ruin one of the most intriguing talents in all of the WWE. But seeing this news absolutely sucked because he's an amazing talent all the way through. Definitely an unfortunate turn of events for him. Hopefully he can bounce back before too long and maybe find greener pastures somewhere else. I don't think AEW... I wouldn't be surprised, though, if he goes the ROH route and joins Rouge in the Ingobernables. That group would be really cool. I'd love to see that be an entire angle, adding him into that group. Meanwhile, the National Wrestling Alliance is going to be back in action this Sunday starting at 3 o'clock our time, 4 o'clock on the East Coast. And NWA President Billy Corgan announced the main event for their back for the attack pay-per-view on Fight TV which will be this Sunday, and it'll be NWA World's Heavyweight Champion Nick Aldis taking on Aaron Stevens for the 10 pounds of gold. And Corgan mentioned that the pay-per-view is going to be a remembrance of Joseph Hudson, a.k.a. Josephus, and question mark in the National Wrestling Alliance. Passed away last month. We talked about that a few episodes ago. And Corgan believed Hudson's tag partner and friend Stevens should receive the title shot in his honor. There are also two matches officially announced for the card as of right now for NWA back for the attack. Tyrus is also supposed to make his debut for the NWA, but there's no official opponent. So we'll go ahead and kind of leave that to the side. But two other matches that have been announced, one of which is a number one contenders match, Thunder Rosa taking on Camille. Feels weird to see Thunder Rosa in the NWA after months of her being in in AEW. Yeah, she's defended the NWA Women's Championship. But after seeing somebody with one company for so long, it's like, okay, you're kind of flipping the switch, but this might be a one-off or you're trying to have her vie for the NWA women's title currently held by Serena Deeb. You have a rematch with those two to send her off the proper way. But you also have another match that got announced, and it's a four-way contest between Jax Dane, Slice Boogie, Jordan Clearwater, and Crimson. Don't necessarily know who the other three guys are. Definitely going to be some young pups out there. Looking forward to seeing what they can do. But it is really cool seeing Crimson back in the National Wrestling Alliance. And definitely when I saw that, I was like, okay, I'm intrigued. Because Crimson was a guy that I felt like he was hit or miss sometimes. But he was definitely entertaining. 
in the different roles they had him in in TNA, especially early on and kind of the build to the Fortune 4 stuff, I thought he was a pretty decent character to kind of keep an eye on. Meanwhile, you know, that's something that's awesome. The fact that it's going to be the first show for the National Wrestling Alliance since the pandemic is looking to be an interesting one. And the best part is, again, it's a 3 o'clock start time. More likely than not, it's going to be finished up before Fastlane. I'd say, you know, this could be more along the lines of me passing up on the Fastlane kickoff show, watching it live at least, in lieu of this fantastic National Wrestling Alliance back for the attack this Sunday. The final bit of news came down on Monday, and that involves legit Layla Hirsch. She is finally all elite. AW President Tony Khan announced it yesterday. And, you know, you think about it, Hirsch has made her debut back on October 27th of 2020. And she's been a regular on Dark since that time, competed a handful of times on Dynamite. Also took part in the Women's World Title Eliminator Tournament with a loss to Thunder Rosa in the first round. But Hirsch definitely deserves a lot more love. She's somebody that I'm definitely going to say in the next couple of years is going to be one of those top contenders for an AEW Women's Championship before too long. But she looked really good her debut against Akara Shida last year in October. And the announcement also mentioned that Hirsch has been officially moved from a Tier 0 contract, which is what we see a lot of the guys in the crowd and whatnot. They get the Tier 0 contract with essentially a signing bonus. That's an agreed-to-appear type deal. Meanwhile, a Tier 1 contract, that's what Hirsch has been promoted to. She will be having a base contract agreement with AEW. When it comes to the Tier 0 contract, if I'm not mistaken, that's going to be more along the lines of, hey, you know, get the signing bonus, but also if they want you, they get kind of that first right of refusal. It feels like when you see a lot of NFL teams, they have a certain number of players that they can have. It. It's unrestricted free agent. But, or yeah, a Restricted free agent, basically the way that works is you have somebody who could get an offer, but the Saints would have to match it. Let's just use the Saints for an example. Because they've been dealing with a lot of cap space and moving people around. If they had a restricted free agent, that person would have to, the Saints would have to match it. And if they don't, then the guy can go. It's always the right or first refusal when it comes to that. But definitely really cool to see Layla Hurst. She made a lot of waves in CZW before making it over to the AEW show and really can't wait to see what she does not too far down the road. But let's get to some of the stuff going on in the world of professional wrestling and the actual shows that I was most intrigued about. And last week, it was NXT by Country Mile. This was the show that I watched, not live, but I watched as close as humanly possible to live on Wednesday night. This was the show I was most looking forward to, bar none. And it was because of those major announcements in the first segment, because you didn't know what was going to happen. So they make the announcements, and there's two of them. The first one seemed as expected, because we get William Regal's major announcement being that NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver will be a two-night event. The first night will be on the USA Network on Wednesday, and then night two will be exclusively on Peacock that Thursday. No surprise there. Stand and Deliver Really interesting name. The logo is a little bit different. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of it, but it is what it is. But the second announcement was the one that kind of made me just kind of scratch my head. I was like, why are we doing this? The NXT Women's Tag Team titles were introduced. Why do we do these things? Why are we doing this? And then we get Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez are announced as the first ever title holders. Then I was kind of scratching my head there. Why are we doing this? 
But then you realize, oh, hey, they won the Women's Dusty Cup. They were the ones that got kind of screw-bobbed, as my, my guy Frank likes to say. He basically, was a screw job, if you will. The reason why they lost that NXT Women's Tag Title, that Women's Tag Team Title match last week. So now the Black and Yellow brand gets one of their own. Then we get to some other stuff that happened throughout the show. Tony Storm versus Io Shirai, solid opener. Shirai deserves a lot, deserves a lot of love. It felt like she definitely carried a good bit of the match. And at certain points, Tony Storm felt like she was at three-quarter speed. Wasn't quite able to kind of have that fastball, if you will. Really good stuff from her. But overall, I wasn't necessarily kind of like a huge fan of it. And Storm just needs to stop doing the swan dive headbutt. I wince every time I see it. It's such a bad move, especially if you miss it. And you see, that's pretty much what she did. So, you know, I was like, what the hell's going on? But I'll give her credit. She had an interesting choice of wear with the kind of Beetlejuice pants and the finish goes with um, uh, Shirai hitting cross face for the submission win. Really good stuff and, and just really cool transitions throughout but again, solid opener. Wasn't necessarily my favorite match of the night or match of the week for that matter, but still pretty darn good. Then we get to L.A. Knight cutting a promo backstage. Pretty standard stuff from him. If you watch his stuff from Impact and National Wrestling Alliance, Power, NWA Power, stuff like that. It's that kind of promo. Then Bronson Reed attacks him and sets up a match for next week. Technically, they said it's LA Knight's debut in the graphic later that night, and they had zero mention of Bronson on it, but Barrett mentioned him in it while they were hyping it up for next week's show. So it's presumed that's going to be one of your matches on the card for next week, Bronson Reed versus LA Knight in the former Eli Drake's debut. The next match was Pete Dunne, Jake Atlas. Not much really to kind of write home about, but it was a match that was five minutes long, and it went a million miles an hour, just back and forth, really fast stuff. Felt like they were just told, hey, get your stuff in and get out of the ring because we got other stuff to get to. Pete Dunne, Jake Atlas put on a good one. Pete Dunne got the win, had a great post-match promo, saying he's the best technical wrestler in the world and dares for someone to prove him wrong. Really loved that idea. Just really good stuff. Then we get to probably my biggest complaint of all about NXT TakeOver, or NXT just in and of itself, is the fact they did a rematch from NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day. That's where I was going here. But the fact we got a rematch with Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez defending their titles an hour after winning them in a match against, obviously, Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon. And you wonder, like, why the hell are they doing this? Couldn't they have just done a better match and put the women's tag titles on the line at WrestleMania? Couldn't they have done a rematch with Nia Jax and Shayna and get the titles off of them? Because, honestly, there's no point of having the titles on them anymore. I mean, we got, you know, the whole, I'm uh, trying to remember his name now, you know, the the, the, the sommelier, Reginald, Reginald's his name. I don't know why I couldn't think of his name right there and there. You could have had that be a WrestleMania match, you know. But then you have, you know, the, or better, you could have done a rematch and just have the NXT Women's Tag Titles vacated and have them fight for it. That would have been, that would have been a little bit better. Or save it for Stand and Deliver. There's a way you could have done this. Or better yet, book a match for the main roster titles at Mania. There's a number of different ways you could have done it. I didn't understand it, and I still don't like it. That said, really good match between Shotzi Blackheart, Ember Moon, and Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. 
and Blackheart rolled up Kai for the win. Really good, solid match between those two. Between those two teams, no surprise when you think about it because I think you're trying to build Gonzalez as the next top women's star. And that's kind of what they did later on in the final or the penultimate segment of the show. And they had a little backstage segment where Io Shirai popped up. So it seems like we're going to get Io Shirai versus Raquel Gonzalez, something that I think, honestly, I've been waiting for a good while to see. Then we get a quick tag team match between Legato Del Fantasma and Grizzled Young Veterans that ends after it seems like Breezango comes out to distract Wild and Mendoza, but turns out it was MSK the whole time to get the distraction on the GYV. But lo and behold, Wesley gets the pin. Excuse me, not Wesley gets the pin. You know, you can see a quick roll up and Legato Del Fantasma gets the win. Looking like a bunch of damn geeks. And it's absolutely just ridiculous but it was the fact we had a quick tag team match like okay i didn't necessarily need that you know we could have just had three title matches over the course of that rather than you know title match quick match title match quick match title match it it felt very weird after the match wesley bashes one of the gyv's hand with the astronaut helmet brisango runs in beats up legato del fantasma two face teams celebrate and we gear up for an epic main event and this was justified as being an epic. Because it all starts off with your boy getting it done. Adam Cole, Finn Balor. The entrance was just fantastic. Everything about the buildup towards this, so damn good. And it started out incredibly hot with a really good back and forth opening sequence before Finn eventually kind of took over the ball game and slowed things down. They wound up going to break. Had a lot of headlock exchanges still going on in the opening five minutes. They went to picture-in-picture. Picture. They were still doing that stuff. Then things started to really heat up about, I'd say, the seven, eight-minute mark of the match whenever Adam Cole wound up going for the Ushiguroshi. But Ballard transitioned really smoothly into the final cut, which was just bonkers to see. Ballard kept trying for the 1916. Cole countered with a brain buster on his knee. Really great move. But they were selling throughout the match. Cole had a knee injury early on after kind of running into the corner. Definitely was something he was dealing with. He sold really well in that. But I also love the fact they were dating back to take over 31 with Kyle O'Reilly, talking about Balor's damaged jaw. And the commentary sold that so well throughout the match. It made you wonder, what it would it take? I mean, we saw it at TakeOver, the last one, where it was absolutely something that was still bothering him in that main event. Because you could just see at certain points, he was about dead to rights. Later on in the match, Cole absolutely took it to the next level with a last shot for the two-count match. Went from okay to amazing. Followed up with a Panama Sunrise for a two-count. So many just false finishes. They had a cross-face spot that wound up hitting the damaged jaw. and they, That was the moment where I realized they were selling this match so damn well. You knew it was an absolute box office Draw a really good match. At one point, Cole gets thrown to the outside. He's selling because obviously he's just hurt. He's up. He gets up on the barricade just to kind of set himself up to where he can be okay. Then all of a sudden, Kyle O'Reilly shows up looking like he just left a Taking Back Sunday concert. He shows up at ringside to distract Cole enough. Then you have Finn Balor jumping over the top rope, throwing Cole back into the ring, getting into the splash zone. Coup de gras, one, two, three. Actually, no, he hits the 1916. On the apron after that, 
then hits the coup de gras to get the win, retain the NXT title. Finn Balor keeps putting on absolute bangers of a match. But it's more about those post-match angles. After the match, I'm going to call him Emo Riley. He enters the ring, takes off the Undisputed Air armband from Cole, starts beating the tar out of him. Just beating the you-know-what out of him, and it's so damn cool. Lays out Drake words before before throwing Cole into the barricades. Really good stuff here. And then we get to, at one point, Cole is saved by the officials from being hit with a brain buster on the steel steps. They brawl to the back. We cut to Finn still in the ring, and he says, what took you so long? And they pan out, carrying cross. Show ends. I always love cliffhangers in television. This was a prime example of how to do a cliffhanger right. To have it, I mean, I would have loved to just be like, what took you so long? And you fade to black. But the fact you panned out to reveal Karen Cross is standing right beside him. Absolutely great stuff. A one hell of a way to kind of end a really good NXT show. Something I hadn't necessarily been able to save for a while. But they put on a banger of a show. And I'm more interested to see what's going to happen going forward. Mind you, I think we already know probably night two main event is going to be Karen Cross versus Finn Balor. That's just kind of where I see things. Then we cut down that. All right, it's time to get down to brass tacks and rank it. It's 316 day. Why not break it down like a fraction and get to the catalog of CD? We're doing this. We hadn't done one in a while, but it's time to break it down like a fraction and talk about the catalog of CD when it comes to the WrestleMania match tier list for one Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, hell yeah. And we're going to have a lot to break down from this. We're going to go in order for his career. We're going to start things off with the match between himself. Back then, it was just Steve Austin taking on Savio Vega. This is probably the lowest rated match on here. And I have it, it was a match. Or because I, I don't remember a whole lot of it. I watched it back and I was like, okay, this is, it's good, but it's not as great as some of his other stuff. Because let's be honest, Stone Cold has only had, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, seven matches total at WrestleMania. Almost every single one of them on my tier list, except for two. These are absolute all time to legendary range. Because he absolutely had nothing but bangers and the stories being told in those matches were amazing. This is at that bottom level. And it's not a knock. It doesn't fall into trash or minus five stars. It was just a fine match that got the point across. It was still, I think it was hampered because the fact Savio Vega was never really that great of a worker in the long run. But still some really good stuff from Stone Cold Steve Austin or just the regular old Steve Austin just put it in that it was a match. If he had an underwhelming performance, I would have put it trash after we rewatched it. But overall, his WrestleMania 12 performance, it's okay. WrestleMania 13, on the other hand, against Bret the Hitman Hart when he was Stone Cold Steve Austin, the double turn that was executed perfectly. This is an all-timer. No doubt. It was rated five stars by Dave Meltzer for a reason. It's so many iconic shots in that match. Stone Cold passing out because of the blood. Not, not tapping out. Just such a great visual, a great angle. Everything about that, absolutely fantastic. So I got to throw it out there. 
that's an all-timer, and I'd say probably, I'd say his best, hands down, match in WWE, especially at WrestleMania. I'll get to my thoughts on some of his other matches at WrestleMania in a little bit, because I've got two others that are in that all-timer case. I think you probably are going to figure out where those are. WrestleMania 14, Shawn Michaels versus Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWF Championships, Mike Tyson, special enforcer. I think this one's a legendary tier. I think there's a big like reason why I've always loved watching Stone Cold matches. They all follow a relatively similar formula. And this was a prime example. I remember seeing all the time when I played WrestleMania 2000. That's how it was always ingrained in my brain about how the match ended with the Stone Cold Stunner attempt into a Sweet Chain Music attempt that got countered into the Stunner and the match is over. Really loved the way it was done. And the fact that this is just a really good match between these two, and it's the last one of Shawn Michaels' career for about four years. Stone Cold, a year after having one of the best matches of his career in my book. Really well done between these two. WrestleMania 15, we have the main event of the Rage and Climax, an underwhelming WrestleMania 15 in my book. Stone Cold, The Rock, numero uno. I'll go ahead and give this one an instant classic. It's a really good match. Tons of false finishes, everything in between. Stone Cold gets the win, winning another WWF World Championship. His first of two against the Rocket Mania that he won. Third one he didn't. Spoilers there. But this is an instant classic for me. It is a really solid match. A lot of really strong booking. It's not necessarily too overbooked. Yeah, you see some ref bumps, but you know, at the time, it was still relatively new. Really good stuff right there. Then we get to... His final two, or final three WrestleMania matches, excuse me. After a year off with a neck injury, he comes back and has an all-timer. WrestleMania 17, yes, I, I'll admit it. It's rose-colored glasses. It's pure nostalgia. Big reason why I have this match considered to be the all-timer. It's second best in his career. It's Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock. The build-up to it. The story behind it doing anything it takes, and he wins the match thanks to the help of Mr. McMahon. He said he would do anything to win back the WWF title. He did it. He did just that. He sold his soul to the devil to win it. When you think about it, yeah, the the finish, when you see it live as it happens, it's like, what the hell is going on? Why has he sold his soul to the devil? But when you really think about it, this was hands down the best match that Stone Cold had in the WWE, simply in terms of the story, in terms of the build, because this had been building for the better part of several months, something that's missing nowadays in WWE. This was going back to, you know, no way out. Hell, this is going back even further when you see WrestleMania 15, two years before. Now you see these two go at it again. It's a rare encounter, and this is such a great story. The match is really good. The fact it was no disqualification and the finish, really, really good. And this is a reason why I feel like Stone Cold and The Rock are intertwined, which some I got into with somebody online recently about a tier list they put out, which I'll respond to probably in next week's pod, because i got some thoughts on his wrestler's tier list. Definitely wasn't a fan of it. Meanwhile, WrestleMania 18, Scott Hall versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Scott Hall in a WrestleMania match with Steve Austin absolutely was a cool idea in theory. 
But, man, he just could not cut the mustard in practice. But I'm giving it it was a match rating. Because it was fine and dandy. It, it served its point. It wasn't Stone Cold versus Hogan like we all wanted. But Stone Cold, it served a purpose and also gave us one of the best, like, cells of the stunner of all time, especially the second time around whenever he flew about 50 feet in the air. Really good stuff from that ending. But, again, it was a match. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It was just okay. It was just okay. You know it wasn't okay? Rock Austin 3. WrestleMania 19. Again, maybe it's my nostalgia showing, but this is an all-timer. It's so good, and it's a perfect cap off to the trilogy. Yes, Austin won the series 2-1, but at the end of the day, The Rock beat Austin in Austin's last match of his career, and all-timer, these two went all out. It was very similar to what we saw at 17, where we kept seeing the the stealing of the finishers. Really awesome match, start to finish, and just the way it ends. It is damn near perfect and i love it every time i've watched that that show i've just got to fast forward to get to the main event and that's something i'm going to miss doing with the peacock network because they won't have scrubbing they won't you won't be able to jump to chapter which is dumb and they shouldn't have they should have never done this deal i'm starting to really be like damn it we're gonna wind up having to deal with the fact we won't be able to jump to austin versus rock we've got to get through you know, Hogan versus McMahon, which is an underwhelming match. we got to drag through Triple H taking five minutes to pin Booker T. WrestleMania 19 is a pay-per-view that I feel like gets a lot more love than it should. Yes, it has Angle, Lesnar. Yes, it has Jericho, Shawn Michaels, Jericho, and Austin Rock 3. But the undercard of that, match, of that show was absolute trash, and you know it. And the fact they didn't give Booker T the win at WrestleMania 19 makes us probably one of the more underwhelming pay-per-views compared to what we see, like, I'd go from WrestleMania 17 till about 24. That's, like, really creme de la creme of WWE's WrestleMania shows. Because, yeah, the, the first 10 were okay. I think there's there some moments where they're like, okay, that was weird. WrestleMania 10 was, was pretty damn good, I feel like, on the whole. But 19... Maybe one of the worst modern era ones. Let's go ahead and call it that from like 90, 98, 99, 90, 2001 till 2008. That's really like a golden age of WrestleMania shows from top to bottom being really solid. WrestleMania 18, 18 had, had a, maybe a couple stinkers, but still is really good. 20, I feel like it's a really solid show from top to bottom. 21. It has its moments. Also has the first Money in the Bank ladder match. Angle, Shawn Michaels, Cena. I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm going to make some announcements on next week's pod about what we're doing for WrestleMania week. And you are going to love it because we're going to be breaking it all down like a fraction here on the Cajun Strong Style podcast, which you can now find on Spotify. You can check it out. Just search Cajun Strong Style on Spotify. Also do the same on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, we're still on 103.7 The Game. Trying to get those kinks worked out. Hopefully, we'll just be on Google Podcasts by searching Cajun Strong Style. We're up on Stitcher. We're trying to finalize all that stuff. We're also on TuneIn as well. So a lot of different ways to listen to us, and we appreciate you if you're listening in. Meanwhile, let's get right down to it. 
and talk about AEW Dynamite, trying to right the wrongs of Revolution. Because honestly, I talked about it last week. It ended with a big fart. And AEW did the right things here. They did a lot of the right things. There was a couple things that were kind of weird. But honestly, this was a really well-booked show that definitely deserves a little bit more love amongst the fan base. And hopefully the fan base isn't turned away by how Revolution ended. Because if they do, they're missing out on some really cool stuff. So, AW opened the right way. Absolute banger of a match between Bray Phoenix and Matt Jackson. I've mentioned this to people before. That if I ever booked a weekly wrestling show like AEW or WWE or Impact Wrestling, I'd always have a, I'm just going to call it X Division style match. I'd have two guys that I know that could go for about 10, 12, 13 minutes and just go all out and have fun with it. Because I guarantee you, we have full crowds. That place is going to be hot as all get out. And I want to have a match that's going to keep people hooked. And then we can kind of do more storytelling through promos, backstage vignettes, or what have you. Give me a show that's going to start off with a banger. And that's what we got. Really good stuff here. High spot after high spot after high spot. It's an expected match between Phoenix and Matt Jackson. Phoenix countered the tombstone into a, it almost looked like the Rikishi driver, but it wasn't the Rikishi driver. It looked a little bit more brutal of a pile driver. Great way to start off the show. Also love the way Eddie Kingston explained why he sold like he was dead after the barbed wire exploded, after the explosions that really weren't explosions. Mentioned the anxiety got to him and he kind of blacked out at the end there. Moxley joking around saying that Impact paid for the bomb and says it had Acme on it. And that he fought in an exploding barbed wire deathmatch and all he got was this lousy t-shirt. Great line from the the former AEW World Heavyweight Champion. Really good stuff from him from top to bottom. Then we get to Cody Rhodes again. This is something I, I complained about with what happened on NXT. So I'm going to go ahead and complain here. Give equal time and equal complaints. A quick match after a really good opener. And we go right into more promos and stuff. It just feels like there's there's a bit of a gap. And this is another moment where I was like, okay, why are we doing this? A minute-long match, Cody quick win after losing in Revolution. Why do we have to do this? But then it's all about the promo work because they hyped up a match between the two down the road. The Spanish announcer, I'm gonna hope, hopefully I'm going to pronounce this right, Alex Abrahantes did a great job playing almost a pseudo-heel manager. He's more of a translator. But the idea worked behind it. And Pentagon absolutely had a great promo saying that he was basically going to – he's lucky Cody didn't he didn't focus on his arm because he wouldn't be able to pick up his newborn, newborn baby girl if he did. Really great heat. And I want to see this match because I think this could be a banger and then some. And I would love to see that be like a high-stakes contest down the road. And then I mentioned last week, I'm getting burnt out of the Sting interviews, and it continues to be a thing. Why do we keep getting them? Can we stop doing these for a week or so? Because it just basically is, oh, wait, Sting starts talking, but then somebody comes out. I didn't need that in my life. It was a waste of a segment. And, yeah, I know Lance Archer wants to have a match with Sting. That'd be cool. But, you know what? I'll pass. I understand this week after Revolution, but after this week, do not have Sting do a promo. So help me God, do not have Sting do a damn promo again. Then we get to probably the most interesting part of the show. 
and the part that got everybody talking for all the wrong reasons. Because all of a sudden, the NBA invaded AEW Dynamite during Ethan Page's debut on TNT, but not on Fight TV, and apparently the West Coast feed was fine. But yeah, Ethan Page had a solid match with Lee Johnson of the Nightmare Family, marred by audio issues that kept hearing Kanye West. Defense. Defense. That's what it was. I was like, what the hell is going on? Why are we doing this? Why are we hearing these chants? And it turns out it was TNT's fault because we're hearing an NBA feed. All of a sudden, we hear, ain't no mountain high, ain't no mountain low. And I'm going to go ahead and stop singing because odds are I'll get a copyright claim on that. But yeah, so we had ain't no mountain high enough playing. It was a complete mess. But I'll say this. The match was fine. I had to mute it, but I enjoyed it. In fact, I really like, you know, Ethan Page's finish, the Ego's Edge, which is like a release Rage's Edge. It's like a sit-out powerbomb. Basically, Roman Reigns did that for a bit after he won the title at WrestleMania 32. I know he did that to AJ Styles, and it looked absolutely freaking awesome. Cool stuff right there. But the bigger story was more about QT Marshall walking out once again on a member of the Nightmare family, which, you know, it is what it is. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes because I want to see QT Marshall actually have a story, actually have a purpose of why he's actually there because I'm not a fan, just not a fan of him. Then we go to the back and a great segment here. Adam Page has a new lawnmower, and the Dark Order gets on the lawnmower except for I think it was Alan Angels was the only one who didn't. And as soon as the thing starts moving, Cole Banna falls off, almost busts his ass, and I absolutely was dying. At that spot, because I was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, yeah, it was funny, because, oh, hey, they're all going to go get ice cream. But it's like, you know, you could have probably just bought a car or whatever. But I guess lawnmower is cool. Whatever. I think it's a zero term, but just really awesome stuff from that segment. I, I laughed at it. But I also love the promo segment from Don Callis, Kenny Omega, and Eddie Kingston. Callis kept bring up Eddie's time in Impact Wrestling. That was great. But it comes down to the greatest line in the history of our great sport. 69 to be done. That had me rolling on the floor. This led to a great, you know, brawl between good brothers, Eddie, Moxley. And then all of a sudden, Kenny Omega's just standing there. You hear the countdown. And this is where I'm just going to get outright upset. Because I hate to say it. Jim Ross has to stop. Like, get off commentary, dude. I appreciate you retweeting me and having a couple of my tweets go viral, namely the one we did a couple of years ago with Joe Burrow. I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, it's not that he doesn't have that fastball anymore. He doesn't have a curveball, doesn't have a slider. He doesn't have any of his pitches. It's because he is out of it sometimes. He's checked out. And I can about imagine he probably is. But J.R. Heard on Sunday... Christian Cage's theme. And then all of a sudden, we get Christian Cage's countdown theme again. And Jared's like, oh, what's that? It's the damn theme song for Christian. Come on now. Now, I understand it was a big surprise segment and he pops up and does it. I get that. But you introduced him on Sunday. That was just a few days ago. Come on now. And also, a lot of stuff JR has done just, you know, him saying some weird stuff to Excalibur. I was like, okay, why do I have to hear him say, 
know, you, you could probably order really well at a Chinese restaurant. Like, why did you even say that? Why did that even come out of your damn mouth? Some mess. But Kenny teased a handshake, attacks him instead. Then Christian Cage teases the unprettier or Callus yanks him out of the ring. Love they're gearing us up for a match between Kenny and Cage. Feels too soon, but I'd love for this to be a double or nothing. I feel like this can't be a, you know, one of those AEW special shows. No, give this to me in a big-time main event of one of your big four shows. Or five, if you want to count Fighter Fest or whatever. Because that's where I'm at with all this. Like, I'm tired of, like, these free t- like free title matches on TV just to pop a rating. This would be an example of that, a huge example of why I don't like that. Then we get to a really fun trios match between, it was Thunder Rosa, Thunder Rosa, Hikaru Shida, I can't who the third is in this match. He's just mainly all about Rosa. But then you have Maki Ito, Britt Baker, Nyla Rose with Vicky Guerrero ringside. And all of a sudden you just get to a media brawl. And while everyone else is there, fighting Maki Ito is just singing her music, singing her song, and then Shida runs out, and Ito just all of a sudden just Monster on the head with the microphone. Yes, you didn't lay him in that well, but I pop for it. Maki Ito's, I'm not, I don't get her completely. She's one of those wrestlers that I don't quite get, but I understand. I understand why she's popular, but I'm definitely entertained by it all. And Rose wound up pinning Ito with the Emerald Frozen for the win, and they had a little bit of brawl after. Really good stuff. Then we get to the TNT title match. Darby Allen, Scorpio Sky, who really, they put together a really good match. Love the fact that he had to finish Darby countering the TKO with a small package. And again, a lot like some of these other matches, it's the post-match stuff that matters. Like we said with the Ethan Page-Lee Johnson match, it was largely inconsequential, but we saw a further progression of QT Marshall leaving the Nightmare family. Cody Penta got built up a little bit. Now we get to see this happen. Sky turning heel seemingly, locking in that heel hook on Allen after the match. It's going from one feud to another almost seamlessly. I'm interested to see where they go with all this. Because this is that opportunity. If you can get it, this is going to be a money feud. And it'll give us more reason to be interested in Scorpio Sky. Especially if maybe you don't turn him heel. But you have him have more of a heel tendency. That way when you build him up, I think this would work extremely well. But it's all about the end of the show. War Council closed out Dynamite. You have them all talking and trying to figure out who's going to go. All of a sudden, Sammy Kavar comes back to Dynamite. And that sets up an eventual double cross where Jericho basically was waiting for MGF to hang himself. So we're finally about to see it. We're finally about to see MGF get his comeuppance and get the crap beat out of him because it never happened before. But then he says, you know, I, he was making his own inner circle. And, oh, my God, I decided I was like, no way. Are they actually doing this? Lights go out. They pop back on. Tully, FDR, Sean Spears, Wardlow, all out there, and they decimate everybody. Jericho's getting the tar beat out. He got hit with the dynamite diamond ring. He's bleeding out of his head. Just such good stuff. Great closing angle for Dynamite. 
And now you're interested to see what's going to happen next. Because, I mean, are the inner circle faces or heels? Or what's the what's the next direction for this feud? So I'm all the way here for this being a phenomenal way to close out a really good Dynamite, a solid show, not quite bouncing back fully after a big misstep from last Sunday, but a good move in the right direction to maybe build some momentum. That said, AEW has to, I mean has to, just make dark elevation one hour and dark one hour. I don't need four freaking hours of undercard matches. I understand it's a pandemic. I understand you got a lot of guys you want to pay. But damn it, I am tired of watching. If I want to watch wrestling right before wrestling, other wrestling's going on, make it an hour. Especially on a Monday night. Come on now. Why are we doing AEW darks that go two hours after we have an elevation that's two hours? Like That's something that needs to change. Because you're watching. It's, it's like Sunday Night Heat. It's not necessary to watch in terms of the canon. But, hey, if you want to see a new Up and Rising star, then you, yeah, let's say somebody talks about AW Dark Elevation. It's like, hey, you need to check out this really good match they had. And had some decent ones. But, oh, wait, go ahead and go watch that match. It's like, what, there was a show going on? Yeah, yeah, there was a show going on that night. It's like, go check it out. I'm like, okay, you know, I'll I'll take some time. Tell me who it is, and I'll jump forward into that match. But the whole show, no, go to hell. Like, if it's two hours still, we need to stop and really think about what we're doing with dark and elevation. Because dark, if it's a two-hour show you and you eventually move it up to TNT, that's fine. Elevation can be its own thing and put that on Tuesdays, make it an hour long. I don't need any more of that. I just don't. I'm a little frustrated with that. That said, it's, it's some cool stuff like Riho and Monkito's last match with AEW, for now at least. At least that's what it seems. She said she was going back to Japan. So that's happening. But again, really good dynamite. Can't wait for next week's the St. Patrick's Day Bash. Lights out brawl main event between Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. From everybody, everything I've heard is going to be really good. So I can't wait to see how lit it's actually going to be. But let's get to some questions from the fans of the podcast. At Cajun Packer, he tweets out a question. Which current WWE wrestler will be great rivals for Stone Cold Steve Austin. I love the fact he went with a 316-day question. So let's get to it right now. And I've got two different ways I'm going to go to it. First off, if we're talking about a program where Stone Cold's the babyface, it's simple. Put him up against Roman Reigns. I guarantee you this would be a great two- to three-month build. A two- to three-month program. Because Heyman and Austin's promos will be great. Roman Reigns' promos will be really good. And I think this will be a great leading into WrestleMania. Austin comes out on top. And I'm just booking it off the top of my head. This would be a really good segment. Really good really good feud for like two to three months. But if we're talking Austin heel run, which I know would never happen now given his legend status, but you know, let me kind of dream here a little bit. Put him on NXT and have him feud with Finn Balor. And yes, Finn Balor is more of a tweener. But at the same time, his current character would fit well in the role against Stone Cold. Austin's worked really well as a heel in the past, so I think this would be a prime example of being able to pull it off. If he gave me the pin, I'd probably have Austin be the guy that wants to bring down what made NXT so great and immediately guns through the champ that's bowed. Austin wins at a big turnover, puts him on the shelf, then starts dominating the roster for about six months and making sure that he looks like the icon 
and everybody else looks like a bunch of geeks. And you get you could probably get booze on them instantly just the fact you have them coming out of retirement and beat Balor and really kind of embrace that that heel structure. And then about six months later, Finn makes his turn, return to the ring and wins it back in another big takeover. Austin rides off into the sunset. That'd be how I'd book a potential, if it was a heel or babyface type of angle. Because I think either one of those would be top dog. I think that's really where I'm sitting right now. I think those two would be really good. And nobody on Raw, I mean, that would fit really well in terms of like a a safe work style. Stone Cold Miz would be interesting, but do I really want to see Miz at this point face off against Stone Cold? No. I want to see Stone Cold facing the best of the best. Roman's the best heel right now going in wrestling. You know, Finn Bauer, I mean, sure, he puts on nothing but bangers the last few months. So give me that over your boy, you know, Adam Cole or whoever, you know, Put that over anything else for me. Those are the two on the top of the list that I'd love to see. And before we get out of here, I want to get into some talk about UFC because we just got an announcement last night. UFC gearing up for its first show with fans on April 24th. Their first show in over a year. They'll have fans in the stands and it'll be at UFC 261 in Jacksonville, Florida at the Star Veterans Memorial Arena, which previously held three straight events back in May during the COVID-19 pandemic. So this is going to be an absolutely stacked card. Holy hell. The main event, you've got Kamaru Usman, 18-1 in MMA, 13-0 in UFC, battling Jorge Masvidal, 14-8 in his UFC career in a rematch from last year early on in the pandemic. Co-feature, Valentina Shevchenko takes on the challenger Jessica Andrade for the flyweight championship. Definitely going to be really good. Then we get a third title fight. Women's strawweight holder Zhang Weili taking on former champ Rose Namajunas. Just such a damn good card. Just those three alone. I mean, hell yeah. And apparently Usman opened up a 3-1 favor in the rematch, making him a slightly larger favorite than when he closed when they fought at UFC 251 whenever Usman Masvidal took the fight on six days' notice after Gilbert Burns tested positive for COVID and was subsequently removed from the card. And Usman has successfully defended that title with a third-round TKO win over Burns at UFC 258. Masvidal hasn't fought since the loss, but honestly, the fact we're getting fans, it felt inevitable with the UFC, but they're getting their first show with fans in a little more than a month, and they're saying they're going to go full bore, which makes sense with Ronda Santos. But really love that. Also, three really big main events. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see how it all turns out. But appreciate you listening into the Cajun Strong Stomp Podcast, 103 Sub Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. If you haven't already, go search Cajun Strong Style. Leave us a review, a five star review, if you will. That helps us get a lot more notice in the world of Apple Podcasts, where damn near everybody has an Apple Podcast. Or if you're in the Tokyo Dome, I think you'll be able to. Leave us a six-star review. Yeah, that's about all we got for the show today. Appreciate you listening in to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Good night, good fight, and we'll talk to you next time.